Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sparring Partners Podcast. My name is Kobe McKinley, and as uh, as sometimes happens, I am alone this week. Um, yeah, just the way the fortunes have, have turned. We'll be back Wednesday for uh, another uh, partners-based episode. Uh, but yeah, this week will probably be a little bit shorter. Uh, may or may not. You may get to the end and go, whoa. All right, um, droned on a little bit too long, but maybe that'll happen. Maybe that won't. Uh, I don't know. Only time will tell. It's a live show. We're live right now on YouTube, typically on uh, Friday nights. But I think we're gonna we're gonna try and get back to our roots. What we did all those twenty two episodes ago. Get back to Wednesdays. Record on Wednesdays. You know, that, that sounds like a good day uh, to do it. The midday, um, well, no, not midday, because I think we're both uh, working on Wednesdays. But uh, the midweek, come out on Thursday. Uh, enough time for news to break postcard, but not uh, so, so much so that people have forgotten about the card that just happened. I mean, we're going to be talking about the card that just happened. UFC Vegas 22. Uh, Brunson versus Holland. We're going to be talking about that. But for uh, right now, let me just say, if you are tuning in uh, for the first time, if you've picked this up on Anchor or Spotify or on YouTube where we include video, uh, this week it's just uh, my my face with a room behind me. So... Um, Maybe you feel you're missing out, but some weeks we have visual aids. Some weeks we have PowerPoints. All good things. So, yeah, if you want to check us out on YouTube, um, please subscribe and like and all that good stuff. And as always, we are working in collaboration with fightfreaks.co. That is the website that I do predictions on. And the site owner, Evan Montgomery, does some pretty dang good main card predictions of his own. Um, As I've mentioned the past couple weeks, I'll be moving on to Bellator, which I'm very excited about. I think Bellator is really going to be doing some some big things here in the future. That featherweight Grand Prix is dope. That light heavyweight Grand Prix is is dope. I'm very excited uh, about their move to Showtime and all that good stuff. I, I really, I really cannot wait. But this week we're going to be talking about UFC Vegas 22, uh, Kevin Holland, uh, Derek Brunson, and taking a taking a look at a few of those fights that were on that card. Some of the more notable finishes. Uh, some of the people that maybe you should keep your eye on. We are, of course, going to be previewing tomorrow's UFC 260. Uh, if you're seeing this in the morning when it when it gets posted to uh, audio or video, that will be later today, and you will be even more excited watching all the UFC embeddeds and and all that good stuff, uh, which I'm behind on. I haven't, I have not watched all of uh all of the embeddeds but they are good a little behind the scenes action so and then of course we have odds and ends at the uh at the end uh odds at the end so i think we'll go ahead and we'll get started with ufc vegas 22 uh this is probably the third or fourth time i've said this where uh (laughs) jared brunson defeated kevin holland uh, via unanimous decision in the main event. It was a solid fight. Kevin Holland had moments, but the storylines coming out of this fight are super bizarre. I, I don't I don't quite understand I don't quite understand why people are making a big deal about Kevin Holland and the way he spoke. Um, during the fight you have Dana White going as far as to say that Kevin Holland had a mental break. I mean, dude, that's what that's what Kevin Holland does. Kevin Holland talks. He talks the whole fight. And the fact that he did it but just lost this time is really uh, really weird because the UFC wants stars. They want people who are 
eccentric individuals that can also kick ass. And Kevin Holland seems to tick the right boxes, but he just didn't kick ass this time. I mean, he, he got he didn't necessarily get his ass kicked. I mean, he he honestly, if we're judging on a on a damage curve, Kevin Holland landed the more substantial and the more significant shots of the bout. But uh, Brunson, yet again, showing, um, well, really just showing why he is the ultimate gatekeeper because only the really elite make it past uh, Brunson. R- really. I mean, um, you take a look at the man's record and who he's lost to. It's really, uh, in fact, that's what I'm going to do right now. I'm taking it over to here. We're going to Brunson. We're opening a new tab. I mean, let's be honest. People really, uh, MMA is so fickle, man. MMA is so fickle. You lose a few fights, and now you're a bum. Uh, You're in the most premier organization with the best talent. uh, But also, if you lose there, there's a certain subsection of the MMA uh, fandom that think you suck uh it's 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 an unkind sport in more ways than one but yeah man i mean look at look at who he's lost so right now kevin holland's on a four fight win streak which include include lice theodoro ian heinish edmund shabazian and kevin holland the two most recent ones were really uh peak brunson gatekeeper status uh really like yeah i mean we knew you're a gatekeeper before but like can you handle these couple young bucks and he did and he he used a uh, veteran savvy and wrestling just just plain old wrestling and ground control which some people may not like the those of us in the mma sphere that likes a little bit more a visceral action, a little bit more of a visceral ending in the form of a KO or submission finish in general may not have liked it, but I thought it was great. I thought it was, um, as I said, uh, an expression of veteranship and an expression of knowing how to win and knowing how to win at the top level, which if Brunson, I mean, how many fights has Brunson had in the UFC. I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to count him, but he's been in the UFC since 2012. Uh he's been under at least the strike force banner since 2011. He first fought uh Jeremy Hamlin. Uh MMA hardcore. Um actually I no I don't know who that is. Uh Jeremy Hamlin. What's in actually uh now I'm looking Jeremy Hamlin, he's 9-2, and two, and he last fought in 2012. Okay, so that was Brunson's first fight in Strike Force. And so now all these years later, he's on a four-fight win streak at 37 years old. And, and immediately following the bout, he, he says he wants top guys. And I agree, you've won four in a row. Clearly, you need a step up in competition beyond gatekeeper status yeah you need something uh to push yourself further and again at 37 years old there's not a lot of time left on the clock so if you're going to move you need to move now and so i totally i totally get why he would be pushing for something a little bit more substantial coming up Uh, i really would look for him to fight you know we have that four-man tourney We've got uh, Till versus Vittori, and we've got uh, Whitaker taking on Gaslam. Gaslam fills in for an injured Paolo Costa. Um, I would imagine, you know, actually, I wouldn't hate to see, you know, if Paolo Costa can come come back pretty uh if he can come back pretty good 
Sorry, a little a little brain fart there. If Paulo Costa can come back healthy, I wouldn't mind seeing him fight Derek Brunson. Or um the winner of whichever, you know, of that four-man tourney, Gastelum, Whitaker, um, Vittori, Till, whoever doesn't get the title shot out of the winner of the winners of those two bouts, maybe a Brunson, maybe a Brunson. Cause I mean, yeah, at 37, you really, uh, now is the time, especially looking as good as he's looked that if you're going to, if you're going to jump to that next level and, and try and make, you know, what may or may not amount to a final run towards gold, uh, now's the time to do it. Um, and then coming out of this, on the other side, Kevin Holland lost. And as I mentioned earlier in the bout, Dana White said that he seemed like he had a mental breakdown. Um, no, I mean, it just seemed like a guy who was losing uh, and talking. I mean, he he, t- he he was speaking the entire fight. And I know that there are some people on the Twitter sphere that um, said that it illustrated a lack of drive, a lack of buckling down when the going gets tough. But I just feel like that's what Kevin Holland does. Kevin Holland talks. And I don't know why. I don't know why all of a sudden when a guy loses a gimmick. I mean, actually... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, actually, it's it's time and time again this happens. We have a guy like uh, like uh, McGregor. McGregor got to where he was a because he could fight, but b because he it's he could talk. He could talk really, really well. And when he won, the whole world loved him because they're like, "Wow, there's this guy. He talks, but he backs it up. He talks, but he backs it up." And then when he loses. Uh, it seems like even more people come out and say, ah, see what happens when you talk. It's just so, um, I've used the word before in this podcast, but it still makes sense. Fickle. It's just so fickle. But anyway, um, after the battle, Kevin Holland uh, already working on his next moves and he said that he would like to give 170 a try in the ESPN post-fight show uh, because, as was um, publicized pre-fight, Holland came in pretty light. He came in at 183, and he said himself that he walks around about 196. So why are you middleweight, Kevin Holland? Why, why, why are you a middleweight? He's, uh, you know, you could tell uh, there were certain certain ways in which Brunson was able to control him on the floor. And uh, I, man, I can only, I'm like excited by the thought, the thought of a welterweight Kevin Holland. That would be nuts. That would be, that would be uh, really interesting for a guy who hits as hard as, as uh, Holland does, and is as tall as Holland is, being able to face off with some welterweights might seem pretty appealing. Might seem pretty appealing, and it is to him. Uh, here's the here's the full quote. Um, Honestly, I'd like to get a nutritionist and try 170. Holland said on the ESPN post-fight show, "Those boys are heavy in there at 85. It's nothing I can't deal. I just can't." It's nothing I just can't deal with. It's just something that when you fight for 25 minutes, you think about that type of stuff. So if I could try a 70 fight, that would be awesome. Bilal kept Bilal Muhammad kept mentioning my name, getting ready for this fight, and I kept commenting on his little stuff. Uh, Bilal coming off an eye poke. I'm coming off a loss. We wanted to fight before. Why not do it now? I love that fight. By the way, uh, on on the record, I love that fight. Um, you know, for Holland, this was his first big. All the lights were on him. Uh, if he had won, rocket ship, 
He's off to the races. He's he, and if he if he had won devastatingly, if he had won before we started to see him, if he had won early, like a first round stoppage, Kevin Holland is is that dude at 185 pounds. But since that didn't happen, now we gotta we gotta adjust the strategy a little bit for both his fighting and also his career. So one way to reinvent yourself is, hey man. Uh, how about I become a welterweight? Because I'm already I'm already li- walking around pretty light. 196 for a middleweight is pretty dang light. Um, you know, you even have you even have some lightweights that maybe pre IV like ban nowadays because of USADA you can't rehydrate with an IV. But before that was a rule. You did have, and you probably still have some lightweights that cut from around there. Not the not the water cut portion, but like they start camp around that weight. So yeah, man, Kevin Holland head to one seventy. That would be dope. Because because here's the thing: I'm not a huge fan of massive massive weight cuts, but I'm also not a fan of fighters being undersized for the hell of it. You know, if everyone fought nearer their uh, natural weight, it wouldn't be necessarily an issue. But the reality of the situation is that no one does. So, yeah, yeah, go go to one seventy. There's a lot of cool matchups there. There's still matchups at at um, one eighty five. I mean, let's be real. Kevin Holland is not necessarily out of being able to fight names at middleweight. It's just he's going to find have to find a recent loser at middleweight, and there's about to be two uh, out of that that middleweight four man turning. So, hey man, I, I'm uh, I'm down for whatever Kevin Holland does. I, win, lose, or draw. I like to watch that dude fight. So let's move on to the rest of the card. Some notable wins. Max Griffin, starching Kenan Song, man. That w- that was a really great win for Max Griffin, and that brings him that brings his record. He has won two straight, two stoppages. That's uh that's good, man. And at thirty five, you know he had he had a real actually. Is this the first time? This is the first time he has won two consecutively in the UFC. So at thirty five. Uh, maybe things are clicking for him. Maybe maybe he's feeling uh, better than he's ever felt. But who knows? Um, a couple other notable wins. Adrian Yanez picks up his second win inside the UFC. He is really one to watch at Bantamweight. I love the way he boxes, the way he moves. Um, I know there was somebody, a group of friends I was, I was watching the fights with, that was like, is this mini Masvidal? And... The way he moves, kind of. Um, he's a little bit more technical, I would call it. A, li- a little bit more defensively mindful is what I would say. But, yeah, yeah, Yanez is dope. Yanez is really good, and he got an awesome stoppage over Gustavo Lopez, uh, a guy who I thought would ultimately push Yanez, and he did in some areas. He tagged Yanez a few times, but ultimately – uh, a stepping stone for a, a new young prospect at, at 135 pounds. Uh, Taitui Vasa makes quick work. Um, yeah, man. I mean, it, it sucks for Harry Hunsucker, but damn, did not look like he belonged in the UFC, unfortunately. And uh, and unfortunately for Taitui Vasa, what does a win over Harry Hunsucker do for you? Uh, that that brings his winning streak to two in a row, uh, two stoppages. But, uh, you know, being, if I can inject a little pessimism into that, that's over Stefan Struve, who had a heart condition, and Harry Hunsucker, who took the fight on less than a week's notice. I think it was less than a week. Um so I mean, I you know, Tai Tuivasa, he needed to get 
while I sit here and I criticize, I'm just trying to inject a little uh, pessimism, which does not come naturally to me. Tatuafasa needed a couple fights to get back, get the rails back on, get back on the rails. He needed to build the rails, get them back where they belong, and then get the get the train on those that he just he just got back together. Because he had uh, he he lost three straight. Once he made it up into that upper echelon of the division, uh, he uh, he ultimately faltered. So. It was a good win. It was a quick win, but it wasn't much of a fight. So I'm I'm hoping they get him back in there pretty soon. Pretty soon. Um, Grant Dawson with a win over Leonardo Santos. That's very impressive. Uh, he is the first man to defeat Leonardo Santos in the octagon. That was super impressive and also a last-minute TKO, as last-minute as I've ever seen. I think the only uh, later finish – was Frankie Edgar over Cub Swanson, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. I want to. I want to check myself. Cub Swanson. Cub Swanson. He got. I believe he got submitted at. Uh, five four fifty nine. No. Nope. Oh, he got he did he did. I went to the second Edgar fight where he just lost via decision. The first Edgar fight he lost at four fifty six of round five, and so uh, Leonardo Santos got stopped via strikes. At 4:59 of round three, by Grant Dawson in a fight that was very close, and I don't necessarily believe that Grant Dawson was winning. So, dude, how crazy those and those hammer fists were brutal. I'll say Grant Dawson has really turned into to one to watch. Uh, really a fun guy to watch fight. His grappling is superb. His stand up is only getting better. Uh, I'm very uh, very excited to see what this dude can do. Um, Trevin Giles with the with the the upset. Bruno Silva with the upset. Montel Jackson doing exactly what everyone thought he would do. So that is UFC Vegas twenty two. And just to just to mix this up. For one second, um, let me let me pop a can. I'm gonna pop a can. Don't worry. Mm. A little bit of aha seltzer seltzer water, raspberry acai. Mm. All right, UFC two sixty is upon us. As of time, as time of uh, recording and broadcasting, it is tomorrow. It's on, uh, in twenty minutes. It will be uh, later today. But of course, in the main event, Steve Miocic, the consensus goat heavyweight, takes on the consensus most horrifying heavyweight, Francis Ngannou. In the co-main event, Tyron Woodley takes on Vicente Luque in a fight that, dang man, Woodley needs Woodley needs a win. Woodley needs a win bad. Um, and Vicente Luque don't care. Originally, of course, we were supposed to have a featherweight title tilt between Alexander Volkanovsky and. Brian Ortega, blank on names, blank on names, it's horrible. Do the show earlier. Um, yeah, that of course. Uh, Volkanovski tested positive for COVID nineteen, unfortunately. So speedy recovery, recovery for him, and hopefully the bout doesn't get uh, you know postponed for too long. We have a bunch of cancellations for this card. Let me just run through them real quick. 
Johnny Walker, Jimmy Crute, canceled. Volkanovski, Ortega, canceled. Brandon Marcos, uh, Luana Pinheiro, canceled. Jessica Penne, Hannah Goldie, canceled. Blagoya Ivanov versus Marcin Tabora, canceled. Alonso Manafield versus William Knight, canceled. That one hurt. The last one hurt. I was very excited. I was, I was so ready. I was so ready for Menafield night. I was telling, that's the second time this, that bout has been scrapped. Menafield stayed on the card. He takes on uh, Fabio Charent. Still a light heavyweight. But, yeah, man. The uh, COVID-19 is still upon us, whatever people want to think or believe, even though the vaccine's rolling out, people getting shot in the arm left and right, uh, ripping their masks off. Um, it's still very real, and, you know, it. it's not like Dana White, it seems to be reflective, but when you have a card where one, two, three, four... Four of your six cancellations are due to COVID-19, and you're sprinting. You're sprinting to have a packed venue for UFC 261. Hey, man, do what you got to do, Dana. But get ready. It's a that's a side note. I don't want to get too. <laughs> I've stumbled upon the subject. So I'm going to go ahead and read this from odds and ends. Um, this is uh, from Reddit user dark underscore legend. Assumption of risk clause in UFC 261 tickets in case fans contract, contract coronavirus in the arena. So just know that, uh, yeah, of course the UFC knows it's a real possibility that in, you know, um, The audience possibly could be taking the fights home with them. Uh, that is the fight against disease and, and pandemic. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's nuts. That's nuts. Like, if you have got to put in a clause, an assumption of risk clause for COVID-19, for your event to be uh, a, packed, a packed house, maybe you shouldn't have a packed house. Maybe you should maybe you should just keep it at the apex. It works great. You can hear the coaches, the commentators sometimes corner the fighters by accident. It's fantastic. You can hear all the bumps, bruises, and, and grunts in the apex. Ugh. I don't know. All, all I'm saying, I'm not I want to go to an event. I had an event canceled because of COVID-19. I was supposed to go to a card. In Cincinnati, I believe it was Cincinnati or Columbus. It was one or the other. It was supposed to. It was a year ago. Um, I believe almost a, a year to the day that was supposed to occur, and it got canceled due to COVID nineteen. But I will not sign up to go to one until the assumption of risk clause is gone. Oh my god! And it sold out in minutes. It sold out so fast. People are so ready. And don't get me wrong, I'm ready too. But we got to move past it eventually. But you know, maybe maybe not. Maybe not while there's an assumption of risk clause. You have to sign to buy your tickets. So. Anyway, anyway, the digression lasted enough. Let's get back to UFC 260. And let's talk about some of the fights on this card. I mean, top to bottom, it is... You know, obviously the heavyweight title was on there. That's important. The co-main event, Tyron Woodley, is still looking to rebound uh, from his skid. So that's important. Vicente Luque, he comes to go to war. So that is entertaining and could be important because I, I still feel like a win over Tyron Woodley does something. It doesn't do what it used to do. It doesn't immediately get you a chance at, at welterweight gold, but it puts you closer, puts you closer than, than a win against uh, some other folks at 170. Um, you know, 
if Vicente Luque were matched up by with Neil Magny, they'll be different than than this. So, you know, it is what it is. But yeah, yeah. Actually, let me uh, let me take a look. Let me take a look at the uh, the current the current runs. Maybe the last three or four bouts of these fellas. Uh, yes. So after going unbeaten from 2014 to 2018, uh, Woodley has not won a fight since 2018, losing to Kamaru Usman, Gilbert Burns, and Colby Covington. Most recently, stopped. The previous two losses were decision losses. Um, Vicente Luque, on the other hand, has won two straight, and he has won, oh my god, he has only lost a single bout since 2017, since 20, 2018, there we go. He, he lost to Leon Edwards, and then went on a run of six straight, then he lost to Stephen Thompson, and he has won two straight. So he is heading up, while Woodley has lost three straight. And, and Vicente Luque is a sneaky one because he is so uh, prolific. I mean, the man has uh, only, you know, almost 30 fights. And he seems to be super mature in the way that he fights. Very relaxed, um, ready and willing to accept damage and able to, to return it just as well. He's only 29. He's not even 30 yet. So I'm very curious... And he doesn't have that wrestling-heavy style that, that Woodley's previous three opponents have had. So I'm wondering what, what kind of... Uh, I'm really wondering what, what kind of matchup we get here. Because I doubt Vicente Luque is going to change his whole entire style just to try and put on a, uh, a wall install, take down a thon um, that we've seen Woodley fall to recently. But, hey, who knows? Maybe he will. Maybe we'll. Mm. That is the raspberry acai version. It's very good. Very, very good. Refreshing almost. I mean, it is refreshing. It's not almost refreshing, but um also on the card, Thomas Almeida and Sean O'Malley. That's a that's a pretty big one. You have former, you have former gold star prospect in Thomas Almeida taking on Sean O'Malley, who was also in, you know, himself a gold star prospect before um, getting his leg kicked off by Marlon Vera and then not accepting that it happened, and then. Uh, saying regrettable things on podcasts and on YouTube and just all over. Now, that's a really telling fight, actually, for both men. For both men. Uh, Thomas Almeida, I would uh, feel quite vulnerable heading into a fight against Sean O'Malley because he has not looked great as of late. Uh, he was he was this hot young prospect. He had that, uh, he had that bout against Cody Garbrandt long time ago before Cody Garbrandt got, got a shot at the belt, but it was kind of a two young guns meeting up and Garbrandt came on top. And since then, Almeida really has had trouble putting together any sort of run like he had before that fight. Um, now Sean O'Malley, he has some stylistic things that I feel that Almeida could could possibly capitalize on, and vice versa, and vice versa. Uh, I think that it's interesting stylistically, and it's interesting in terms of career trajectories. So uh, I'm excited for that. Gillian Robertson, Miranda Maverick, they're they're back in action. They were originally scheduled to take take each other on uh, UFC 258, uh, but ultimately was was scratched due to an illness from. Uh, not an illness from she wasn't spreading it around. Uh, Gillian Robertson was ill. It was not COVID related. She just got sick, um, and that that was scratched from UFC 258. And uh, now they're back. Miranda Maverick, a, a young woman who uh, 
UFC commentator John Anik said it is uh, more than likely a future uh, title holder. And she's only fought in the UFC a couple times. She once. So he's very confident in this young woman. She's only 23. Gillian Robertson is uh, she's a little bit older, but still in terms of record, she doesn't she hasn't had many more fights uh, than Miranda Maverick. That, you know that I think that's that's important to see uh, which of those uh, young ladies keep it moving uh, up the ranks. Uh, some other fights of note, of course, Alonzo Man Manafield's on the card. You're gonna tune in. Uh, like I said earlier, I am heartbroken. I'm heartbroken that he is no longer fighting William Knight, but it is what it is. And Fabio Sharent steps in who himself is a pretty solid talent. Uh, he, if you have not ever checked him out, he, he last fought in, uh, he last fight at Titan FC 62, and then before that in CES. And what I liked most about, about his style was how relaxed he is. He, he really is comfortable using his hands. He's really, he just seems comfortable in the cage. And for seven for uh, someone who's seven and one, that's going to be very important. And let's hope for his sake that he can stay just as calm when he takes on Minifield because Minifield is a tough customer. Um, Jared Gooden taking on Khabib's cousin, Abubakar Nurmagomedov, uh, who fights in a, in a more, you know, you have Umar who doesn't really fight like Khabib. He's more of a striker. Um, Abubakar, oh, he fights like Khabib, except he's more susceptible to, to submissions. Uh, and so Jared Gooden may have to put his uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu brown belt to work, but we shall see. Um, Modestus Bakakis versus uh, Mikhail Oleksijic. Oleksijic? I hope that's how you say it. Either way, Michael, just keep your eye out for the third fight in. Uh, Bukowskis and Alexijic, maybe that's how you say his name. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Sorry, excuse me. These ahas are carbonated. It's going to be super fun. I cannot wait for that one. It's going to be uh, Bukowskis moves really well. He fights long. He fights behind his jab and his low kicks. Uses a lot of lateral movement. Way more footwork than is typically found at light heavyweight. And uh, Mikkel, Michael, however you say it in Poland, that dude just comes forward. He, he wants to find you in the cage. And he just goes forward and he lunges these big punches. He is all-out aggression, really high pace. Sometimes gets him into trouble, but it always makes it fun to watch. So, um, yeah, that's it should be a good one at, at 205. And then uh, you have Shane Young, Omar Morales should be another banger. Shane Young's out of CKB, and uh, Omar Morales is not, but he throws heat for 145. And then opening up the cage should be one that is, uh, you know, if it goes, I'll say it like this, if it goes Azatar's way, it's going to be a, uh, a really great finish. And if it goes uh, Barriot's way, Barriot's way, it's French-Canadian, it's going to be a workmanlike performance over the course of 15 minutes. And it could go either way. Uh, Abu Azatar is just so unpredictable. He is powerful. He lunges in with big strikes, but not just blind. He's, he has former, he's a former kickboxer. He has kickboxing experience. So it's like targeted wild striking. I, I just uh, 
what's interesting about this fight actually is that both men are coming off of sub one year USADA suspensions. So there's that. Um, now what I want to, I want to talk about what the main event means. Because Stipe is, after defeating DC, was recognized as the consensus GOAT heavyweight. This fight, I think this fight, this rematch, might solidify that more than that second win over DC. Just because of how horrifying Nganu is. Nganu sleeps, dudes. He, he has a, what is often called the touch of death. He touches your chin with that, that high-velocity fist. And you go to sleep. And a ton of heavyweights have. And I'll just read off the name. Since he lost to Stipe Miocic, he then lost a decision to Derek Lewis, but no one talks about that. Uh, he has knocked out Curtis Blades. He then knocked out Cain Velasquez. He then knocked out Junior Dos Santos. He then knocked out Darizio Rosenstruck. So he KO'd Curtis Blades, two former champions, and then Rosenstruck in 20 seconds. Bro. Bro. He's horrifying. And he knocked all those men out in the first round. All, all four of those bouts ended in the first round. Oh, no. He was already scary when he fought Stipe in 2018. And now it's all over again. You got to think if you're Stipe. Like, oh, man. Can I get, like, some new blood? That's like the heavyweight curse, I'll tell you that. Rematches. Rematches the heavyweight curse. Yeah, because Stipe... Stipe, uh, he defended the belt against um, Overeem. He defended against JDS. He defended it against Francis Ngannou. He then lost to DC. He then beat DC, and then he won a decision over DC. Woo. So yeah, uh, a win a win in this bout really is. Uh, sorry, I'm <laughs> my contacts are drying out. Something fierce. Um, a win for Stipe further solidifies him as the greatest heavyweight of all time. And one question that keeps coming up in my mind: Does he stick around for Jones, or does he retire? I, I could see uh, I could really see a world in which Stipe retires after this fight, really. Because um, I mean, what does obviously more paychecks, whatever? But he takes off so much time in between fights. It seems like he just. I just am not sure how much he enjoys doing it anymore, um, just based on the frequency with with which he uh, fights. But who knows? Maybe he loves it. I know that he uh, he likes that heavyweight money, and he likes that uh, those pay-per-view points. But uh, when you're staring down the barrel of like, okay, I just beat Francis Ngannou again, and my reward now is to fight John Jones. Mm. I'm not sure what kind of reward that is. I mean, hey, maybe maybe you think that that Stipe would win against Jones, and that's entirely possible, but um, I'm just really curious how much longer Stipe wants to even do it because he does not seem, you know, he has his career outside of fighting, and he seems pretty content with that. So I'm just curious, if he wins on Saturday, does he does he retire? He might. He might. I'm getting I'm getting those vibes, but we'll see. We'll see. Maybe maybe he wants to pull Cejudo, ask for a little bit more, get some more points 
on the on the pay-per-view to fight Jones. I mean, hell, both of them are going to be asked for more money, so whatever. It doesn't matter. And then if Ngannou wins, we do an immediate rematch, or does UFC just say, thanks for the cheese, Stipe, see you later? It's it's uh, just like all this. It's just fucking rambling um, about possibilities, but uh, could happen. Could happen. All right. I think that uh, I'm going to do some odds and ends, and we're going to get out of here. So, actually, some kind of big news for the women's division. Misha Tate's back. Uh, she is coming back. Is she coming back at... I believe she's coming back at Bantamweight. She's coming back at Bantamweight, and she already has a fight. She already has a fight book against Marianne Renault, who is currently 0-4 in her last four. And her next bout, she, she stated pretty clearly, whichever last bout, whoever it was against, was going to be her retirement fight. So you have Misha Tate coming back, and you have Marianne Renault heading heading out, which at 0-4 in your last four, I mean, yeah, probably. Probably it should be. Probably you shouldn't do it again. But she's 43. She wants to do it one more time, brother. And uh, Misha Tate said, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll help you with that. And um, so she's back. Former queen of Bantamweight, Misha Tate is back. I, I am excited. She she uh, returns July 17th. I'm not sure it will mean much in the grand scheme. I think it'll mean something. I think it'll mean that... I think she beats Marianne Renault. Beyond that, I'm just not sure. Uh, has the women's Bantamweight division... I believe it's been five years since Misha Tate fought last. And in those five years, the game's changed quite a bit. But has the game changed much in the women's division? Has that five years been a radical development at 135 pounds uh, for the women? Because if you look at the names, there's a lot of women at 135 that have been there a while. Uh, some, some of which are of the class of women that Misha Tate started in the UFC with. So I wonder, I wonder, I wonder what her success will be. She says she wants to do it because she loves to compete and she feels the itch and she feels like uh, it's time. She feels like she wants to do it. So, hey, more power to her. I'm excited to see her back. I know some people may uh, roll their eyes at a, Yet another fighter ending a retirement, but hey, man, she's 34. It's time to do uh, what you got to do uh, when you want to do it. Um, Kamzat Kamaev ends his retirement and uh, plans a July return. So he's still eyeballing Neil Magny, but that may not happen. I, I'm... Uh, I hope he's coming back of his own volition and not because that dictator piece of shit told him he needed to or uh, the uh, or Dana White. Um, yeah, I, I hope that I hope that Kamaya is actually ready and he's actually healed up from his complications from COVID because otherwise you're just going to see a shadow of, of uh, you know, either way, if he had retired. It would have been a huge what if of MMA history. And if he comes back and he's just not the same, he's going to still be a what if of MMA history. So best of luck to him. I cannot wait to see him back in the octagon, assuming he's all healed up. And then uh, last but not least, this is of particular interest to me. Uh, Risen 2021 Japan Bantamweight Grand Prix was announced today. Or uh, maybe late, late yesterday. And it is a 16-man tournament. 
Uh, Kai Asakura, the former Risen champ, is a part of it. Uh, no Kyoji Horiguchi, most notably. But we've got some really, really great, great talent on in these 16 fights, and I cannot wait. It's going to take place over two events, Risen 28 and Risen 29. That is what comes after 28. Um, May, uh, May 23rd and May 30th is the two dates for this. Um, so it will begin. Sorry, sorry. It's not going to like complete by Risen 29, but you know, one half of the opening bracket will take place at Risen 28, the other half will take place at Risen 29, and uh, we will continue for the rest of the year. We've got some really good names. If you are at all familiar with uh, Japanese MMA, uh, especially the Bantamweight class, um, we've got, of course, Kai Asakura. We've got Shuto Watanabe. We've got uh, Koya Ito. We've got Kenta Takizawa taking on Imanari. Imanari's back in this? Yeah. Yeah, I'm super down. I'm super down. Uh, we've got uh, Shintaro Ishiwatari. Bro, if you've not seen his fight against uh, Oki Kubo, who is also in, in this in this Bantamweight tournament, do yourself a favor and look it up. Uh, side note, Risen posts all their fights the week after an event. That was a confusingly said sentence. The week after each event, they post all the fights on their YouTube, their official YouTube. Hi, Def. There's no uh, no commentary sometimes. Sometimes it's only the Japanese commentary. Doesn't matter, though, because the action is great. So if you have not watched uh, Shintaro Ishiwatari Throwdown with uh, Ogi Kubo, you got to do it. It's a war. It's really fun. Um but I will say this. That's it for this week's Sparring Partners podcast. Uh, this was the 22nd episode done in collaboration with fightfreaks.co. Um, yeah, a little bit of a different episode. Good to mix it up. Hopefully we'll be back on Wednesday. In the meantime, if you like what you saw, please subscribe, like, comment down below if you've got any questions, comments, or concerns. I do not have any to air at the moment, so I will not post there, but feel free to do so. I uh, will see you guys next week. Like I said, hopefully hopefully Wednesday we will go live with the show. It will be posted on Thursday. Uh, if you are a listener, uh, if you're a watcher, you can always find the live stream in the full episode playlist. That's where you can find all of our old episodes. Um yeah, well, that is it for this week. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. My name is Cody McKinley, and we will see you later.